This is The Hidden Why Podcast, episode 951, my interview with Michael Gelb, how to think like Leonardo da Vinci. Enjoy. Hey, Michael, welcome to The Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here with me. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks. Whereabouts are you in the world, Michael? I am in Sleepy Hollow, New York. Sleepy Hollow? Yep. Yep. How's it all going over there? Well, we are the Halloween capital of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's that time, isn't it? But, but of course, you know, in a normal year, it's unusual to see putting masks uh, on at a time other than Halloween. So I'm not sure what people are going to come dressed as this year, but we'll find out. <laughs> Maybe they'll take their uh, masks off for Halloween. Well, let's hope not. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, um but you're a, you got some fascinating work out there. You're um, obviously very interested in um, in books and writing books, and uh, the the practice of learning, I suppose. Uh, and that's just a guess because I could see the bookshelves behind you there, uh, as you sit in your office, uh, quite loaded um, with all sorts of books. I imagine. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Michael. What do you do and and uh, your journey? Sure. Well, the books you saw on my bookshelf. That's and as you surmise, that's not a virtual bookshelf. It's actually the real bookshelf. And those are all the books I read in order to be able to write the 17 books that I've written. <laughs> 17, wow. And I, I became a writer by accident. I was actually working on my master's thesis. And when it came time to write the thesis, I discovered that I was used to writing by following assignments at university where the professor would ask you to read something and then summarize it back, usually a book that the professor himself had written. So when it came time to write my own real thoughts and ideas in what was supposed to be an original piece of work, even though I had lots of ideas, I didn't really understand how to write about them. But fortunately, right at that time, I learned mind mapping. Mm-hmm. And uh, I made some mind maps. And all of a sudden, I had not only a huge flow of ideas and creativity, but I was able to connect those ideas and effortlessly organize them and when I sent in my, my thesis, my thesis advisor said, I've never seen a student's writing improve so much in the course of my academic career. He said, it's as though you found your true voice, which of course I did and became committed to helping other people find their voice. Mm. And then the next cool thing that happened was a couple of friends of mine read my thesis and they said, wow, you took such a complicated subject and you made it so simple and accessible. I know a publisher who might be interested in this. So my book was sent to two different publishers and they both made me an offer. So all of a sudden... Unheard of. Must have been bloody good work. Mm. (laughs) So my book, my first, my thesis got published as my first book. It took a few years to translate it from an academic thesis into a book. But it came out in 1981, and it's still in print. It's still grow- going strong, uh, and uh, that's so. That's that's that was my 
initiation into writing. And, and then as a result of writing that book, people started inviting me to speak. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. You write a book and then people read it and they invite you to talk about what's in it and how it relates to them and they pay you money. So I thought this is, this is just too good to be true. Why don't I keep writing books, giving talks, developing seminars? Cause I love to teach. I love to interact with people. Yeah. So I keep, you know, I find something that I love that I'm passionate about that I know something about that I think will really help other people. And then I write a book about it and I make up a seminar around it. And so 17 so far and more to come. And how long have you been doing this for now? When was that first book published? The first book came out in 1981. I handed this thesis in in 1978. And I started studying what I'm still teaching now. I would say really, I guess uh, the year would be 1971 was when I really started focusing on the the material that I, I continue to explore and teach. Excellent. And when did you feel, because over that journey of, what's well, almost 40 years, I suppose, when did you feel you started to get your rhythm? Because I think a lot of people out there would look at you and go, you know, admire you for what you've done and want to achieve it overnight when the realistic um, evidence is that it's, it's over a longer period of time. Did you find that you found a rhythm a certain length into that or was it pretty much when you wrote that first book well that's a wonderful thing to reflect on i hope it'd be helpful to people because when i advise younger people who are starting out and they're not you know they're not fitting into a a set career path i mean it's different if you say okay well i'm going to go to medical school you're probably going to start out at least being a doctor or if i go to law school you start out being an attorney although there's plenty of doctors who go on to become painters and plenty of attorneys who go on to become entrepreneurs and innovators and so on. But most careers have a set path. My own career was something that evolved as I kept pursuing those things that seemed to be most appealing to me, that I was most interested in, that I thought might be useful for somebody else. So one of the first things I learned how to do that I was really into, I became a juggler. Mm. and because I just thought it was beautiful it was cool so I just started juggling and then I I realized that juggling was a great way to teach people about the principles of accelerated learning so I made up a class using juggling as a metaphor to teach people how to learn anything they wanted to as well as they could then I wound up writing a few books about juggling as a metaphor And ultimately, I wound up teaching a thousand IBM engineers how to juggle in a big hotel ballroom. (laughs) (laughs) So that wasn't a linear. When I first learned how to juggle, I wasn't thinking someday I'll be the world's highest paid juggler because I'll be teaching corporate people how to do it. uh, Or that I'll juggle with Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones live on stage in front of an audience of more than 100,000 people at a rock festival. I, I really that. That was a total surprise. I just thought it was cool and I wanted to learn it. But then I wound up being able to link it and leverage it in other contexts. And that's what creative thinking is about. So the through line Mm. of my work is think outside of categories, think outside of set predetermined paths and look to make 
the most of every situation for every stakeholder. Yeah. You, um, and I know in, in your book, How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, um, certainly he was one of those creative types that, um, you know, thought outside that box and interconnected um, different genres, I suppose, or different disciplines. Um, can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. Well, that's that's exactly right. That's why I wrote How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, because he was my childhood hero. And I thought he was humanity's supreme role model for thinking outside of limiting categories and making connections that other people had never made. I mean, that's what geniuses do. They make connections. They see things in fresh, new ways, and they link something that you might not expect could possibly be linked or connected. And I got to tell you, I, I came up with the idea for how to think like Leonardo da Vinci, and I couldn't have been more inspired. But when I presented the idea to a couple different publishers, the first few publishers rejected it because they said, well, we won't know where to put this in the bookstore. Would it be in history or in art? or in personal development. So sorry, but uh, no. And so what you're right, it wasn't just this linear progression. I had to persevere. And I, I finally found a, a publisher and an editor who, who, who were turned on by this and wanted to help make it happen. And you know, it turned out to be this tremendous international bestseller mm. Uh, which is still, it's in 25 languages and people write me fan letters every week. <laughs> Fantastic. You, you talk about, um, you know, how, how you follow, I guess, your passions, but I, I sense there's a feel of um, curiosity there as well that drives some of your interests. Um, and another part that I often find through interviews is that people often become teachers of things that they have struggled with. Do you relate to all three of those aspects as far as what's driven you into each of these particular sort of genres and areas of your studies? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I'm, curiosity is our birthright. Mm. Every child is wildly curious. Talk to me about curiosity. I mean, do you think it's something that, I mean, we're, we're all naturally gifted with? Um, do you yes. think it's something that we all have right now but perhaps shut off from? Like what's... Yes. Well, yes and yes. So mm. it is our birthright. Children are the most curious people. They're also the most imaginative and they usually have the most energy. Adults, after they get through school, suffer less curiosity, dampened imagination, and their energy starts to decline. So if you want more energy, reawaken your curiosity and your imagination. And what I help people do is specifically guide them on, okay, well, how do you actually do that? What are practices to revitalize your birthright of, of curiosity? What are practices that help us expand our imagination? And what are practices that help us strengthen our core life energy so that you can become more engaged, more alive, more fulfilled every year of your life. So many benefits to that. Are you saying that the, the reinvigoration of curiosity and imagination will help 
recharge us and give us that extra energy or is it a combination of recreating it's, creativity and re-energizing yeah look the you know what gives people the absolute most energy for you know, for grown-ups mm, play uh, it's having a, having a purpose uh-huh. it's having some sense of mission that is beyond just your own self-aggrandizement so when you have a passion, when you have a purpose, when you want to make a difference, when you want to serve other people, when you want to, you know, obviously we all want to care for our families and our friends and our local communities. But the bigger your purpose, the more you're aiming to make a difference in the world, the more energy you have. I mean, look at you, know, we're in the whole COVID thing. I mean, the, the sense of purpose and energy that uh, first responders, that physicians and and nurses and ambulance workers, people who are going out day after day. Why are they doing it? Because they have a mission, they have a purpose, they, they, they generate energy that is just phenomenal, the hours people are able to work mm. because they're in service, because they care about something other than just what's in it for me. Now, and, and it's fine, look, it's fine to have energy about fulfilling your desires and your needs and make lots of money and, and, and have as much fun and joy and as you can. But if you really want the, the, the supercharged energy, create a bigger dream, a bigger purpose that involves the welfare of others. Hmm. Yeah. So you really have to connect that, that purpose of yours with the, the, the larger picture rather than the focus on oneself. If you want that extra supercharge of energy yes <laughs> do, do you think that do you think there's um because a lot of people go out there and they're busy every day and it, it gives them a sense of purpose perhaps but it doesn't give them a sense of um joy or a sense of real purpose if that makes sense because they, they're yes. just going out there to be active rather than yes. being non-active and we know if we're not being active then generally that connects to our emotional centers as well and causes us uh, all sorts of other problems so being active alone helps us you know, yes. have some level of purpose, but perhaps it's purpose that's misguided or, or not really nourishing. Well, very much so. So the the there's actually the, the final chapter of the book, How to Think Like Leonardo, mm-hmm. guides people through this exercise I call making a master mind map of your life. And companies invariably, I, this is part of what I do for a living. I help companies go away on retreats and redefine their purpose, their vision, their mission, their values, their strategies, their goals, and so on, and then create an integrated approach to fulfilling those. But a lot of times I ask the senior leaders on these corporate retreats, I say, have you ever done this for your own life? And they they say, no, I'm too busy at work. (laughs) So in in the book, I, I guide people through this process, which is based on the same process I do for companies, but people can do it for themselves. Mm. To to look at your life from a holistic, authentic perspective. Because you know, look, a lot of us go into our roles in life because we felt driven or compelled to do so by our parents, our families, our heritage, uh, our background, where we grew up. And people the sooner in your life you step away 
and really ask, you know, what's the purpose of my life at the deepest level? Why am I here? And it doesn't mean that you're going to get some magic answer immediately. But if you live with that question, this is where curiosita pays off. If you live with that question, if you keep asking it every day, then you start reading things about the purpose of life. You're looking for what's your hidden why. Mm. And when that hidden why is revealed to you, then there's a surge of, of energy and enthusiasm and you can articulate it and you can then craft a strategy to figure out, okay, how am I going to actually integrate this purpose into making a living and the relationships that I'm in and all the other key elements in my life. But now you have a framework for looking at your life that is profoundly energizing and makes it easier to solve the day-to-day -day problems of why am I doing what I'm doing and is there a better way to do it or is there something else I might want to be doing? And if so, how do I get the resources and the time available to do what I'd rather be doing? Because if you don't ask those questions, you're just going to keep on doing what you always did, whether you're a company or a person. Hmm. Hmm. You, you talked about mind mapping uh, at the very start um, as something, a tool that helped you really flesh out the thoughts around your thesis in the book. Um, can you explain what mind mapping is for us? Sure. Mind mapping is a methodology developed by my friend Tony Buzan. It's a method for generating and organizing ideas, unlike outlining or bulleting, which starts top-down, hierarchical. Mind mapping invites you to start in the center of a page, mm. draw a creative doodle, and then branch out in different directions, drawing keywords and more creative doodles to express your ideas. And what happens is it liberates you from that top-down, hierarchical, got to get number one, got to get the right idea first. No, you just get the next idea. So it, it creates this liberating flow of associations. And when you let those associations go using the format of mind mapping, it helps you find this balance between spontaneity and organization. Mm. So like, you know, as I said, with my, you get more ideas and less time. You see better connections between the ideas. You use the imaginative, colorful part of your brain in harmony with the logical, analytical part of your brain. So it really helps you think more like Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. Is this something that he had in his practices, mind mapping? Well, no. My mind mapping as a term and as a specific practice mm. was originated by Tony Buzan around 1968, 70. Uh, but, Did Leonardo have similar, you know, sketches and throughout his work? So, and... so, so Tony will, was inspired partly to create mind mapping by his study of the notebooks of Leonardo da Vinci right. and Thomas Edison, because okay. they use lots of doodles, creative doodles, and and lots of key phrases. And look, if da Vinci's notebooks and doodles are priceless in the art museums of the world. And Thomas Edison's doodles and his notebooks became 1,093 United States patents 
and three whole new industries that changed the world forever. So mm. Tony was looking at how do geniuses take notes and how can I formalize that so that we can all think more like a genius? So how can this mind mapping idea help? Like, can you explain it um, to help people find this purpose? Well, what if you made a mind map of your purpose? <laughs> yeah. What, you know, what if you started doodling creative doodles and keywords and let your mind go free and just went off in different directions so that you're inspiring? See, part of the beauty of mind mapping is because it's nonlinear, it looks like a web. It looks like it actually looks like the pattern of brain cells or the aquifers, uh, rivers and ponds and oceans of the world. It's a natural now. And now you know, the Internet is probably the greatest metaphor that we have now of this world what, what's it called it's a, called a world wide web mm. so the mind map is that web of your own thinking and learning to let that web be expressed i like to do it first on paper even though there's lots of mind map programs to do on the internet and on your computer you actually my experience is you get much more benefit if you do it first the old-fashioned way artisanal mind mapping mm. so here at my desk i have lots of colored pens i have a big flip chart i have lots of big sheets of blank white paper i make a mind map of my daily my to-do map every day Dude. i have a map here which is my my mind map for we're, we're releasing this new video program on thinking like leonardo and i have a mind map of all my marketing partners around the world so I can see it at a glance and get Yeah. So we sit down with a big bit of paper. We've got some colored pens yep. ourselves, hopefully no distractions. The where do we start? Like do we just write down the first thing that comes to mind or do we think about our career so far? Well, yeah, you know where we start there's there's actually there's a great one of my favorite exercises in the book. Uh, but we people I'll share it with people right now is make a symbol that represents who you are and who you aspire to be. So companies call this a logo. In Europe, in the Renaissance, it was called in Italy an impressa. It's a, a visual representation of you and your your highest aspirations. So, you know, if you think of uh, what are the most recognizable logos in the world? For most people, they instantly think of the Nike swoosh. Yeah. Here's one little symbol that even has a name that you see all over the world. Nike was a client of mine for years. So the people who work for Nike, they look at that and they see that's, that's the image of us running past our competitors. That's mm. the swoosh sound that happens when you're wearing Nike stuff and you run past the people wearing brand X. Ha, 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 Right? And it's so powerful and so simple and so elegant that people around the world love to wear it. Yeah. Right? So uh, for a company to have a symbol or a shape that, that brings everybody in that company together, helps them feel what, what is their mission, what is their purpose, and that consumers love too. That's an that's a genius example of of an, an corporate impressa. Mine okay. is I have this super lightning bolt thing, which represents the 
moment of inspiration, the moment of connecting with genius thinking. And every time I look at it, you know, it's energizing. So I would put that in the center of my mind map if I was making a mind map about my life. Now, I didn't just generate that in two minutes. I spent, it evolved over the years. I've had different central images or impresses over the years. It's evolved, hmm. but that's the center of your mind map. So give it your best shot. Make up a creative doodle that represents you. Put that in the center of your big sheet of flip chart paper. Get colored pens and start start mapping from there. And as you map out, it'll probably map back inwards and, and alter things as you go. Wait, we see. You generate first, then you put it together, then you generate again. So it's just like breathing. You expand and contract, uh, open and close, yeah. come up with lots of new ideas, then consolidate, put them in order, more new ideas until you have something that works for you, whatever the project happens to be. I like it. I like it. You, you talk about um, some tools or practices that help people um, reinvigorate their curiosity and imagination. Can you share some of those with us? Sure. Uh, there's so many. Uh, one of them, though, is uh, actually one of my favorite exercises in the book that I've gotten the most letters from people over the years about is to is to do stream of consciousness writing on these sorts of questions. So let's say you want to explore what is my purpose. Mm. You're going to take 40 minutes and just write about that. Don't lift your pen off the paper. Just keep writing. Put on some nice music. You want to have some coffee or tea or whatever, or a lager, whatever you like. <laughs> and just write. Just write. And, and what happens is, the reason stream of consciousness writing is so powerful is, after 10 minutes of doing it, you shift out of your regular mind. But if you keep writing, another part of your mind starts to express itself. Hmm. And if you have the stamina to do it for 30 or 40 minutes or even longer, you get into deeper material. Because look, there's, there's a part of you, this is what creative people know. There's a part of you that's smarter than your everyday mundane yada yada mind. Yeah. And, and what creative people know how to do is connect with that smarter part. The good news is there's methods to do it. Mind mapping is one of them. Stream of consciousness writing is another. Mm. Do you, when you uh, begin to, well, even before the, I guess the the idea of the book is born, do you sit down there and use a mind map to create out the book and then start that process of just writing? Every single look for time. You? Yeah? Every single from the thesis till my most recent book. My most recent book is called Mastering the Art of Public Speaking, Eight Secrets to Transform Fear and Supercharge Your Career. And one of my favorite parts about the book is every chapter has a complete mind map summary. Mm. So if you read the chapter and then you look at the mind map summary, you'll find that you will, you will be able to recall everything you learned in that whole chapter by looking at this one page. And then at the end of the book, we have a two-page mind map of the entire book. And the, the mind maps were made for me by Brian Weller, a brilliant creative guy who was part of the original learning methods group 
with Tony Bizan and myself and Peter Russell and some other amazing folks back in London in the mid 70s. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So totally, um, well, not totally different, I suppose, but a different um, book altogether of talking about public speaking. And you talk about, you know, transforming fear um, so we can supercharge our career. Is it only relate to to public speaking, this idea of transforming our fear? Or is fear something that holds a lot of us back? It, it's, it's, it is in Dune, Frank Herbert's, original novel, he says, fear is the mind killer. So yeah, you're right. We need to transform fear. Obviously, public speaking is the number one fear of people around the world. But people also don't think about their purpose, or they don't think about how to be more creative, because they're afraid of change. So, so transforming that fear into enthusiasm is a, a fundamental challenge for for people and there's also a way how do we connect da vinci and think like da vinci and mastering the art of public speaking part of how this all connects is let's say you you start to think like leonardo da vinci and you come up with all these creative ideas mm. well maybe you want to start a new business so you have you've created an invention or you want to put on a particular kind of performance or you want to get a new job. Now you yeah. decide, no, I want to change my career. Well, you're going to have to enroll other people. You're going to have to persuade other people. You're going to have to engage other people. So if you want your creative idea to happen, it really, the next really important skill is to learn how to talk about it. So that, that's, that's how these books fit together. Gotcha. Yeah, makes sense. So this... I mean, you're, you're obviously a, a public speaker. Do you still get butterflies before you have to do a presentation? I get excitement. Uh, excitement. I, I, I get excitement. Different way to look at it. Uh, you know, I just actually earlier today, I spoke at a global conference. Yeah. And that's the great thing about the world today is I was, I was at this conference that last year I spoke at in Vienna, Austria, and this year it's virtual. But I had this global audience and it was live and there's a lot of really smart people in this global audience. And I just, I felt like, I was like, you know, boxer, I can't wait to get into the ring. So, <laughs> so you're obviously I, very passionate and driven about it. Do you find, um, and this is a sort of off tangent question, but do you find there's a different level of uh, well, how you approach someone via virtual conference compared to being in front of, you know, thousands of people or whatever it might be? Well, what, you know, what's, I was lucky that uh, before I sent the final version of Mastering the Art of Public Speaking to the publisher, COVID was already happening and everybody had shifted to virtual modalities for presentations and workshops and seminars and classes and so on, uh, as well as business meetings and other forms of presentations, even uh, you know, the uh, speech at a wedding or a eulogy were happening in this virtual modality. And everything, absolutely everything in the book just becomes more important when you're in two dimensions instead of three dimensions, when you're 
talking into a camera and a computer screen versus when you're there with people. It's actually, yes, it's easier uh, when the people are really there. Uh, and you, you know, it's, I, can, I do all these Zoom presentations and Skype. And what, uh, uh, it's easier if you can tell if people are really laughing at your jokes. Mm. It's easier if you can read their body language and their, their eyes. But everything, all, the, all of the eight secrets to transform fear and supercharge your career, all of them just become more important to apply when you're in a virtual modality. Yeah. Do you find that, um, I mean, everyone would benefit from a book like this? Because I assume that not everyone really has a desire to, to speak in front of people. But do you think it's just because of that reason of speaking out thoughts is, is a way to, you know, through teaching, I suppose, or expression is a way to better mind map, our, you know, whatever we're focusing on? Sure. Well, this is the thing is, uh, if, if you're interested at all in success <laughs> yeah. in life, uh, then you, you probably... What, what is success? What is success to you? Well, that's a whole other question. Uh, success to me relates to fulfillment, but whatever my dream is, whatever success is the fulfillment of your dream and your goal in a way that keeps you healthy, abundant, and serves others. So... So uh, you know, we be, could argue that everyone has interest in success then. Well, yeah, I think everybody everybody wants to be happy. Most yeah, smarter yeah. people know that yeah. the way to be happy is to help make other people happy. And that's also the way to have a really successful business. But in order to do that, you're going to need to talk to them. So you might as well get good at it. <laughs> and mm. there's another dimension too, which is as you become, as you master the art of public speaking, it helps you evolve and grow as a person. It helps you find your voice. And if you have ambitions in any kind of organization, you wanna become more senior and have more influence, what's fascinating is you can always delegate what is written in your name, but you always have to stand up and give the talk. So I do, you know, I, I have some of my CEO clients, I help them rewrite their speeches. And, and I, yeah. I, I had a guy recently said, help me sound like, like Winston Churchill, uh, which he's one of my heroes. So I had fun doing that. Uh, but when he has to get up and speak to the whole company, whether it's on Zoom or in person, he's got to do it. So the more important you become to others, the more important it is for you to be able to speak well. And if you want to become more important, Speaking well is one of the most important things you can learn how to do. Hmm. Yeah. What What do you think, other than fear, and I guess fear is probably the, the biggest obstacle to, to public speaking, but what is it that stops people from going any further after they do a few presentations other than the fear alone? Yeah, they don't know it's a skill that they can learn. They don't, they don't yeah. have access to, to a real step-by-step -step integrated, proven methodology yeah uh, so because well, i assume I'm, one of the steps in your book is about that mind mapping thinking about what you're right. going to talk about putting it together being organized before you present rather than just getting up there trying to i guess speak off cuff that, well this so look i'm a professional speaker mm. so that means, that means people actually have paid me to go and give talks you know, for 40 years yeah and now, now they're paying me to, to give presentations in a virtual modality. Yeah. So, so 
what I my part of my motivation for writing this book was even if you have no idea whatsoever that that's something you want to do, if you can learn how does a professional approach giving this talk so that you can just have the professional secret. That's why their secrets, they're not really secrets to professionals, but to everybody else, they were secrets and then they won't be when you read the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, mate, I, I'm a um, yeah, certainly one of those people that never liked getting up in front of people and talking, um, but through practice and Toastmasters, actually, um, and various other careers that I've had, you sort of have been put in that situation. So it's become, and it's it's actually a joy when you speak and you speak of something that you're passionate about. It creates that sense of fulfilment. Um, I, I feel that um, perhaps some of us, like I can, I can do a lot of speaking. Um, ad lib speaking, I suppose, and maybe that's just because of the way the mind works. Do you feel that some people are more capable of doing that than others? Like some sure. people maybe uh, need to be more planned, whereas others can just get up there and talk? Well, even those who just get up there and talk, uh, you know, I think it was Mark Twain said, uh, it takes me two weeks to work out a really good extemporaneous speech. <laughs> So there's a lot of preparation that goes into being able to speak spontaneously. Yeah. And, and that preparation may take different forms for different people at different yeah. stages of their, their speaking. Uh, I just want to come back to it, just say that uh, Toastmasters and other speaking clubs are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful uh, people. The more you practice, just like anything else, look, are some people more naturally gifted at piano than others? Yeah. But can you learn to play the piano surprisingly well, even if you started out without that much musical talent? Yes, you can. This is what we know. This is the growth mindset. There's lots of research on it. If you learn how to learn, if you learn mm -hmm. how to practice, if you learn how to take feedback, if you learn how to work on the difficult bits, you, you learn and grow faster. And people with that attitude tend to outperform over time. People who just think talent is enough. And that's, mm. Yep. Mm. Mate, look, a um, couple of uh, really good books there, I think, for people to maybe go out and investigate. I'll stick a few links in the show notes here. Michael, you've got a lot going on in your life. Where, where can people um, find out more about you and potentially reach out to you too if they wish? Thanks. Uh, it's michaelgelb.com. That's lb michaelgelb.com people can go there and sign up for our free newsletter and also we'll let them know we have a really cool i gotta say it's the thing i'm most excited about that i've done so far in my life it's the how to think like leonardo da vinci online video seminar we're releasing it just at the beginning of december so if people go to michaelgelb.com they can watch a free preview and they can sign up so that they can learn more about it as soon as we're about to release it. And yep. it's, it's life-changing. Just have Leonardo as your personal mentor and coach for the rest of your life. Perfect. I'll um, stick the link in there, guys. MichaelGelb.com. Check it all out. This is the Hidden Wire Podcast. Mike, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Guys out there, thank you for listening. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. So
Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwhy.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is lee martin Utsi. until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon